Hello, everybody. Welcome to another PropTech Ramble. Today, we have Francesca Brady, the CEO of Aerated. Uh, welcome to the Ramble, Francesca. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so people may ask why you are on the Ramble, because given how close-knit Metricus and Aerated are, and given that you and I are the co-founders of Aerated. So the reason that Francesca is on for people who are, who are interested in thinking why, why she's on, given how close-knit they are, is... Post the last ramble, we've had a lot of people come in and ask us to, to talk about indoor air quality. So hence bringing an expert in and hence bringing Francesca in when, when you have an in-house expert, it does help. Uh, so Francesca is on to talk about indoor air quality. We've had quite a few questions already come in that Francesca and I will cover off today. Uh, so Francesca, again, thank you very much for joining. Uh, just for people who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and what you do? and your kind of credentials for being an indoor air quality expert. <laughs> yeah, so I'm CEO of Aerated. Um, in the past, like my background, I have a master's in environmental science that was specifically concentrated on indoor air quality, which, guys, was super niche at the time, but it's really come into its own uh, since COVID. Um, so I yeah, used to work for uh, Metricus as an environmental scientist. Then when the inception for or the idea was created for Aerated, I was heading up um, the environmental research arm um, and then subsequently took over as CEO. So many, many years in this space. Um, I have quite strong views on indoor air quality, um, which again is not a topic a lot of people are familiar with, but um, here to advise and entertain. <laughs> so it, it I, I say this to quite a few people. It, everyone knows about indoor air quality now. Prior to COVID, oh, yeah. <laughs> not a lot of people did. You know, people yeah. that, the, the most people knew was it was hot and stuffy in the office, but they didn't know why. Now everyone knows about CO2, humidity, temperature, dust, VOCs, all, all of that sort of stuff. So, so it is, it is a growing topic, and it's the thing is, it's not, it's not a trend. It's not something that's going to come and go away given ESG, you know, uh, the sustainability, the development goals by by the World Health Organization, or sorry, it's not the World Health Organization, it is United Nations, sorry, uh, that this, this is not going away. And hence why I think so many people sent in to have a conversation around indoor air quality. Uh, so it, it's a big, it's a big topic. One of the things we're going to do slightly differently today, there's been a couple of press releases and a couple of articles um, in, in the UK and, and globally. You know, Germany and the Netherlands have taken a lead and there's CO2 uh, monitoring being done in schools. But we've had the first UK school put indoor air quality centres in everywhere in, in, in Warrington. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on, on, on that? I know what it will be for, for all the right reasons. They're the first. It's it's a little bit slower than 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 people would have thought. What, what are your thoughts? It's slower, but I don't think the adoption in the education sector was ever going to be a quick thing. Um, so it's good that it's finally being done. It's a shame that we are 
we always seem to be lagging behind. I mean, with the healthy buildings movement, it kind of all started in the US, moved its way the wrong way around the globe. So took over Australasia, then came into kind of the Far East. And now it's coming around to Europe and finally the UK. Um, so yeah, Europe have kind of taken this up already or continental Europe and, and we're kind of, again, kind of left by the wayside and um, kind of but, trying to catch up with the crowd. Yeah, and is I, I'm an Aussie, right? So I, I don't put myself in the English bucket. <laughs> but in, in, in England, mm. from from what I've seen for living here for many years, people will wait until it's legislation. Yeah. Legislation is not always the best thing to wait for, especially when it comes to indoor air quality. Yeah. I mean, with um, I was on a, a panel session uh, a couple of weeks ago now with Alex Note, and she put it perfectly. And she said, if you're waiting for legislation and regulation to be the thing that gets you to change your behaviours and your attitude towards this, then you're too late because it's the people inside the buildings. And like you said, it's um, in mainstream media now about indoor air quality and ventilation. People are redefining their expectations um, and their wants and their needs in a space, and that will be what drives the change. So you shouldn't be waiting for legislation, regulation. It's kind of the um, stick to push along all those lagging behind. If you want to be the types that are delivering exceptional space, then um, then you go by what the occupiers want. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, and I said earlier, this is not going away. It, it, is, it is going away. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Hence, why we're seeing more and more indoor air quality sensor companies coming into the market. You know, almost I wouldn't say every week or every month, but but three or four a year. You know, we're we're seeing come out. I mean, you've been in this space a lot longer than than the prop tech scene, if you like, has has been in this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I mean, if you look at this space, it is growing. Look at the, the connections to ESG, a whole other subject. We'll get onto that and probably do a podcast on that one as well. You've been working in this space for years. What what have you seen from a a change of people's attitudes, the quirkiness of requirements, <coughs> excuse me, the things that can affect indoor air quality in buildings? You know, they're, they're like... I, you know, and people are bringing in their own sensors now, like the plume sensor that you and I, you know, looked at a while ago. Uh, what, what have you seen? What what is what is what have you seen people do to look at trying to do something around indoor air quality themselves, or you know, good, bad, and ugly? Yeah. So um, I guess two things really with implementing technology as um, a strategy to monitor what you already have. Um, yeah. It's the best place to start, but in terms of finding the budget to do that or defining whose responsibility that is, it's just a struggle. There's no structured framework um, to this. And that's kind of where there's ambiguity lies because an occupier thinks it's the landlord's responsibility to be delivering a good quality space and to be monitoring the space. Um, On the opposition, you have the landlord who says, well, the occupier being in the space heavily influences indoor air quality. So they should be the ones monitoring their indoor environment. And I mean, it should probably be like a consortium approach. And I, I don't know the answer, um, but it needs to be this kind of group effort to deliver a good space. Um, the way that I see it would be a landlord identifies what the baseline air quality is. So in a vacant space, because yeah. they're right when they say that people coming in screw it up. 
Um, so if they can identify the baseline and be transparent about what the baseline air quality is, so the quality of space that they're delivering to yes. not buy yeah. a tenant, a customer, as they're called yeah. now, um, then that's absolutely the right approach. But going further than that and empowering the people coming into the space with the information they need to best use it. Because as an occupier or a normal person going into a space, you don't know what you don't know. So if you walk in and design your space in a certain way or you're using it and inadvertently compromising your indoor air quality, you have no idea. You can't see air. So unless there's a smog event outside, <laughs> but you can't see air, particularly indoors. Yeah. Um, so it could be lots of things that you don't know that you're doing wrong. And it would be great if the landlord was there to give you a helping hand, not to govern what you're doing, but to equip you with the information to make informed decisions and empower you with the information that you need. So a terrible analogy, but on um, a cigarette packet where you've got that kind of danger notice where it says, if you smoke these cigarettes, these are the things that could happen to you. It's empowering you with the information you need to make an informed decision about whether you're going to smoke those cigarettes or not. Um, bit of a weird analogy, but it's the same, the same can be applied to um, the indoor environment. Yeah. Uh, so, questions. There have been some questions come in, by the way, so I will, I will get to those. Uh, you mentioned before we went live about a project where a lady had brought her own equipment in to try and help. Yeah. So it was, I mean, you, see, you see some pretty weird and wonderful things um, in the air quality space. And uh, it's just purely because of a lack of information, a lack of education, lack of awareness. Um, there was a case where we saw, because we see data first and foremost. So there is a site survey that's done, but day to day, we just see data coming through. So data was coming through from sensors and showed really high levels of PM2.5, so fine dust, uh, and VOCs, volatile organic compounds. Um, and it was bizarre because it was really localized. So just in one spot on the same floor, and we had about four or five sensors on the same floor, and it's just this one sensor that was showing bizarre readings. So obviously, first port of call is um, doing a bit of digging, a bit of investigative investigative work um it's either going to be something wrong with the hardware or something wrong in the space and yeah. maybe a source so we requested photos be sent of uh, the sensor in situ and just its surroundings yeah and um there was yeah someone's humidifier plonked next to it the problem was that this humidifier had been bought in the lady who bought it in went on annual leave over summer came back two weeks later and this pool of stagnant water had just been sitting in there, probably heating up from time to time. Pretty <laughs> nice. And then she got back into the office, switched it on, and it was probably spewing out, I'm going to say spores, because it, it kind of points towards Legionella, but I can't say that conclusively. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where that could be incredibly harmful. And it was born out of her wanting or her having discomfort in her indoor environment. Dry eyes, dry skin, things that humidity does to you physio physiologically yeah. so um dry environments she went to the effort of trying to solve this problem herself but had no reference no one that she could go to about it um she tried to solve it by herself bought this piece of equipment in it probably got pat tested but that was as far as they went um and it was just yeah it was it wasn't wonderful but it was um 
interesting to see someone try and solve the problem themselves, try and gain control back of their own comfort and health and well-being in the space. And I think that is where this problem lies, where people, individuals in a space want control. So they will now start doing things to improve their own environment. Can't really do that or shouldn't really be doing that in a commercial space. Um, and that lies on the onus of the employer. Um, but she needed someone to be able to speak to about this sort of thing. So whether that is HR, it probably does lie with them. Um, but these issues need to be addressed and then dealt with with just advice from experts in the field. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a bit of a strange one, but that's probably one of the more exceptional cases. But it's all about, it's all about regaining control. And it's, and it's awareness, though, isn't it? Because that, I know that was pre-COVID and pre-lockdown and, and everything. So that is, like you said, that's someone trying to figure out what was wrong with them if they had dry eyes or, or dry throat or whatever it might be. Yeah. Post-COVID, it's now, it's now very much been highlighted. So I, I think the more people bring this up as, as an issue when they get back to the office, you know, we're, we're working with customers who, who are already putting hundreds of these, hundreds of indoor air quality centres in so they can prove that they are providing a healthy environment, which is what they want to do and people should do. The ones that don't, if people start to complain about that, that's that's a quick trigger for someone coming go, going off sick. Maybe you know, and doesn't take a doesn't take a lot to change and try and in, improve the indoor air quality. I think there's a saying that you have you wouldn't drink a glass of dirty water, so why would you you know breathe in horrible air? So it's it, it's a change. So there, there is there there is a question coming. So and and you have one behind you, a plant. Uh, so. Are, are plants really going to improve indoor air quality in in, in an office space or, or, or in your home or, or, or anywhere? So they have their limitations. I know that everyone loves them. And there was a really famous NASA study uh, that was conducted a couple of decades ago. And it kind of had peace lily as number one air purifying plant. Um, they have their limitations because you would have to plaster all your wars walls doors floors ceilings with plants to have it have any significant impact positive impact but they are fantastic i mean biophilia is kind of fulfilling this innate desire that we have to connect with nature um so from our mental health it's a it's a really good thing to be putting into a space um and yeah it does it does reduce marginally levels of co2 and tvocs um so really good things to do and if you're talking about marginal gains um it's it's a really great thing to be doing yeah agreed and, and plants are plants have been proven to make people happier and not not healthier but make them happier in in, in an office uh and like you say to connect with nature another question that, that came in prior to, to to today hence why you're on is 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 enhanced ventilation the answer to delivering a healthy space yeah this one is um probably quite contentious uh no, in most cases. So um, enhanced ventilation, I think the knee jerk response is that's going to compromise my sustainability initiatives. Um, and they're not wrong. Um, enhanced ventilation is good. I mean, the adequate or kind of the minimum benchmark for ventilation at the moment is 10 litres per second per person in the UK. Um, that needs to be enhanced. Absolutely. Kind of in line with BCO guidance. So 12 12 litres per second per person with the ability to add 10% onto that. 
um, but not necessarily ramping up to sort of the 15, 16 liters per second per person. Um, particularly as, I mean, spaces are probably going to become less and less densely occupied because of COVID. Um, and everyone kind of just probably feels like we need more space now. Um, and enhanced ventilation, so bringing a lot more outdoor air in, requires a lot more heating, um, which, yes, compromises your energy consumption, but also dries the air out really badly. So you start also compromising the health of the indoor environment. So you improve something like CO2 levels yeah. and TVO2 levels, but you compromise humidity. So it's quite a delicate balance to make. Um, but no, enhanced ventilation is not the silver bullet that perhaps it's been uh, coined as. It requires like a multi-layered approach to what you're doing um, so that you don't um, disadvantage areas to, to improve others. So another one like following on from that is what is what is the most effective treatment for iaq so if if ventilation enhanced ventilation isn't the silver bullet for a healthy space yeah. what's 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 the most effective treatment for indoor air quality because this is contentious as well at the moment depending on where you are in the world you know america's uv 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 fog mist spray whatever you want to call it the uk people are again kind of hanging back and saying what what do we really need to do that the government says a lot of people are just using detox and wiping their office down what what's from you know surfaces and, and air what's what's the most effective treatment do you think so the most effective treatment it, it's difficult to say and it depends completely on the situation um so i mean there were rumors of people putting uvgi into ductwork but um, had 100% outdoor air coming into their space. And that doesn't make any sense. UVGI can be applied to a, a space where you've got a large amount of recirculated air. That makes sense, but not somewhere where you've got 100% outdoor air coming in. Um, but I think, I mean, with all these clean air technologies, they are really lacking an understanding and lacking research. And I think the first port of call should be a more organic approach um so in the same way that we don't really like pesticides and insecticides on our food because they're very chemically and we kind of stay away from a lot of synthetic materials and anything that's heavily manufactured i think that could be applied to this situation as well where we control maintain and monitor things like indoor air quality and understand the humidity and the temperature and co2 in the space and make minor changes and optimize your building systems rather than your knee-jerk reaction being, I need to invest heavily in this new piece of clean air technology, whack it on the ventilation system, but I've actually done nothing to optimize that system itself. Oh, so yeah, it's yeah. still running as it was before, but you've just plugged something else onto it. Um, I mean, controlling something like humidity can be massively beneficial in reducing the risk and transmission of something like COVID or other viruses like common cold and flu. Um, what, what do you do? Sorry, what, sorry to interrupt. On, on that point, years ago, people had humidifiers on their buildings. Yeah. Some people have decommissioned those humidifiers because of the energy usage, which affects ESG, which affects your sustainability. What can people do? And this is nothing that's written down. It's just something from, from some previous customers or, or customers that are still customers. But 
what what do you do if you if if the decision has been made to decommission the humidifier the, the humidifier we we have a customer that is recommissioning their humidifiers based on the work we've done for them and showing their indoor air quality levels if you physically can't do that or you've removed them or taken them away understanding that probably reducing the amount of indoor air quality sorry reducing the amount of pure fresh air especially in the winter how do you try and help bring humidity up if you if you've removed the humidifiers so i mean some really quick things well on the plants situation this way yes. um plants are really good at regulating temperature and humidity um but in other situations you can reduce the set point temperature of a room by a degree um it won't compromise the comfort or the health and well-being of the people in the space but it could potentially improve um humidity I mean, it's something where you you may want to run like an occupant satisfaction survey alongside in tandem so that you understand whether people are feeling it um, in terms of the the slight temperature drop, but it's only a degree. Um, So, I mean, other things you can do are local um, humidification. So using humidification systems like this lady had, but keeping them really well maintained. Um, If you're monitoring humidity at the same time, you could probably employ something like demand-controlled humidification. So demand-controlled ventilation is ramping up ventilation dependent on CO2 levels in a space. When they get to a certain threshold, push more outdoor air in. Um, The same sort of technique could be applied if you had humidification systems. And if humidity dropped below 30% relative humidity, then the humidification switches on so that it goes slightly above that it doesn't need to go back up to 50 or 60 um but as long as it is in the realm of 30 to 60 um then it's absolutely absolutely something you could do um so yeah local humidification i think is probably the most effective um plants are good for regulating humidity but that's kind of more in an in an indoor residential setting they're good at doing that someone uh, zach aaron has just actually typed in a message would, would adding heavy Heavy oxygenating indoor plants help with indoor air quality in an office, uh, in a house or an office. Yeah. So this is kind of that. Back to that, before, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so peace lilies would be like the, those heavy oxygenating plants. They have their limitations. Um, and also they've got to sort of be in the right environment. Um, I feel like my indoor head <laughs> makes the room more humid. It, it probably does to an extent because you're watering your plants um, at the same time. And that's contributing to humidity. Um, that's why the application of plants is quite a bit better in a commercial setting, because apart from people being in the space, you're not adding humidity an awful lot. Yeah. Um, so if you've got something like a living wall that's being watered every day or every other day, then that helps contribute to humidity and helps regulate it nicely. But yeah, in terms of the heavy oxygenating indoor plants, even the best ones have their limitations. And like I said, you need to put them absolutely everywhere. Um, if you covered your whole living room in it and you're one person, then you'd probably be okay. But in a commercial setting, same can't really be applied. Zach says his feel likes his hydroponic garden makes indoor hydroponic garden makes the room feel more humid. Mm-hmm. Depends on the plants as well, I guess. Also hydro. <laughs> yeah, it depends on what, it depends on what hydro you garden you're growing. Uh, so there, there has there has been an interesting one come in. I, People ask strange questions in life, right? Mm. Sometimes, no, no <laughs> question is a silly question. There are apart from this one, apparently, <laughs> there, are, there are some that I think was that put in there as fully loaded or to take the piss. Uh, but this one is: What 
animal or species are the best for combating air pollution? <laughs> what animal? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what animal or species? SpongeBob. What animal? Yeah, that's a. Uh, yeah, no, no question will be judged apart from that one. Well, it, it is SpongeBob. Yeah. SpongeBob is the answer then. SpongeBob's answer. <laughs> is he, he an animal? <laughs> he, he's a species. He absorbs things, so we'll go with SpongeBob. Uh, yeah, it, I, I had to read it. It was sent in, so I read every question that comes in. So I, I, if I didn't, the person would not be happy. So, so I have read it out. So ho hopefully, SpongeBob is a good answer for them. I'm not sure what they're expecting. Filters onto birds and have them fly around and collect all the PMs <laughs> coming to the space. Um, no, what a strange one. Thanks, whoever sent that in. Uh, so. I guess uh, education, awareness, lockdown, uh, India going back into lockdown, uh, a, a big thing. Uh, yeah. Indoor and outdoor air quality, you know, well, outdoor air quality more an issue than India than uh, India than indoor air quality. UK coming out of lockdown, US coming out of lockdown. Do you do you think? And, and this is just this is not a question that's written down. It's something I, I thought about earlier. Do you think we'll see more people complaining about indoor air quality post COVID and then coming back to the office? Do you, do you think people will complain about it? Do you think people will use it as a reason to not have to go to the office? What, what, what are you, what are your thoughts? Highly likely. So, I mean, so aerated commissioned a survey um, back in January, it came, the feedback was that 53% of respondents would consider not working for a company if they couldn't display the health of their indoor environment. Um, and I'm sure that if you ran that same survey before COVID, the numbers would be significantly lower. Um, but COVID has sparked change and it's long lasting change. Um, so like you said before, it's not a trend, it's not a fad, it's a movement. And there's only going to be growing importance and growing awareness and people asking more questions and becoming more knowledgeable. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely think that if uh, an employee doesn't think that the quality of space at work matches the quality of space at home, then you have this whole clash between the work and the home environment and where people can work. And we've all quite successfully worked remotely. Um, so, yeah, you would probably use anything you could ammunition wise if you, you wanted to work from home to say the quality of my home environment is better, more productive, healthier than the work environment until you can match it or exceed it i'll be working from home till further notice <laughs> yeah, i can see that happening and it's um one of those things about this democratization of data where there have been cases where i mean there's a, a company called breezometer and you can just uh, type it into your browser and look at the real-time outdoor air quality um you might type in your home address for example and it could be the case that people start dictating where they live um, and maybe where they work, but they have less control over where they work. So where they live based on the outdoor air quality, um, the same could be applied to the indoors. So, I mean, sensors, regardless of how good they are, they're very accessible to buy just off Amazon. Um, you could quite easily get one. And if you were an occupier and you had shortlisted three buildings that you were going to move into and on your viewings, you took around your own sensor with you and did your own compare and contrast between buildings then that's a really powerful thing. Um, likewise, if you are an individual 
and you take one of these sentences into work, your employer is massively on the back foot if you're not happy with the results that you're seeing and they don't have any data. Uh, same could be applied to a landlord if an occupier does the same. Um, and that's where it's really important to be proactive about these things. And although, yes, it it requires a little bit of investment to put sensors into a building to collect this information, it is hugely valuable. Um, yeah. And the payoff is massive in terms of exercising duty of care over staff, attracting and retaining talent, um, but also managing your space better and making it more efficient. So more sustainable and healthier and more productive. Um, all of these things contribute to um, financial gain. So yeah. that there should never be this... I mean, because I, I understand in terms of this um, unstructured responsibility framework that no one knows who should be paying for it, um, but whoever does, um, we'll see. We'll see huge value. Yeah, it's 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 not something, and I know you love cricket, uh, so it's not something you should be on the back foot anymore. You should be on the front foot very much so. Uh, I mm -hmm. think there's people. Let's get it right. People are not going to leave their jobs overnight because. It's, it's no. COVID and lots of people have lost their jobs, unfortunately. Mm. However, people will vote with their feet if they ask for things to be changed and people don't change them. I, just, I think the simplest thing for people to do globally is to pay attention and make the change happen. Like you said, legislation, if you wait for legislation, especially if you wait for the British current British government, you'll be waiting quite a, a long time, I think. Uh it, it, you just need to do it. It is it is one of those things. I and I agree that the people just need to start making that change. And there are there are lots of people doing it. There are lots of businesses doing it. Lots of our customers doing it. Lots of new customers doing it. And and lots of landlords that ones that you're working with within Aerated. So, yeah, yeah. I, I I think it's hugely important. Uh, my my wife and my daughter both had asthma when they were young. My daughter and my wife they both grew out of it. We we don't we live beside a park, so I think we're quite lucky. But if you were in central London with, with asthma and then you went to a building that was full of dust as well, then that, that's not going to help. So I think it, it is it is front of mind now rather than back of mind. So hence hence why you need to be on the front foot. So Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there, there's a lot in the news about indoor air quality and ventilation in terms of its associations with COVID. Um, but a lot of research out there about, you're right, about how it triggers asthma attacks and and that sort of thing. And back in December, there was that landmark inquiry um, yes. that associated the death of Ella, this young nine-year-old girl, um, associated her death with poor outdoor air quality. And it's high-profile cases like that that will also trigger change. Um, that on a much wider scale, but kind of COVID catalyzing what happens in our indoor built environment. Um, and events like that catalyzing the change that happens in outdoor environments and also the relationship between the outdoors and the indoors is intrinsically linked so if we are improving our outdoor environments that will have a positive knock-on impact on our indoor environments yeah. it's just until we all get our act together and actually improve the outdoor environment we do need to be creating kind of safe havens indoors and it's not an expensive thing it really is it to start doing it it's making sure your planned preventative maintenance is done cleaning your filters replacing your filters in your hvac systems that's that's easy cheap and just should be done i think you know and, and it's an easy thing to track with indoor air quality monitors whether you're doing that or not and we've seen that historically as well so 
yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's an it's interesting just, sorry well, I was say, it's an interesting point on air filters so my brother and this is the thing like my friends and family send me links all the time. They're like, is that air quality? And I'm like, it is. That's what I do. Um, my brother sent me a link to a Bloomberg article this morning that said, ask about the air filters, not about the bleach. And it's one of those things where everyone was going overboard with cleaning and sanitizing things, using really high potent chemicals to clean surfaces even though we were told that it's really effective to just use soap and water on our hands. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I feel like it's a mental thing where people are like, if I can smell it and it's burning my nose, then it's doing something. <laughs> and if I can't smell it because it's eco and low VOC or no VOC, it's not doing anything. They're just as effective. They just lack the, the organic chemicals that are coming off them. So yeah. it, that was really interesting because you should be asking about the quality of the indoor air rather than are these surfaces completely sanitized at all times with bleach so yeah. or maybe it was um, a passive aggressive comment to donald trump i don't know uh, bleach should only be for hair really uh so <laughs> i think that's it thank you very much francesca for joining us uh we haven't had any other live questions come in but thank you for people who sent them in uh, next episode of The Ramble, we have Alex Eds, the Director of Innovation at JLL, uh, on the 12th of May. So please join us then. Uh, again, Francesca, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, have a lovely afternoon and thank you, everybody, for listening. Take care. Thank you.